this evening, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Immediately following that, we're going to take a time for you to meet and greet those maybe you didn't get to see this morning or get to talk to, and then we'll jump back in this evening. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you tonight. We worship you and magnify and glorify your name. We ask, God, that in this house that you would inhabit the praises of your people and speak to our hearts in this moment. Bless every song that is sung, every note that is played, and the message that is given tonight, and we will be eternally grateful to you. Christ's holy and precious name we pray, and the people of God together said, Amen. 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 Will you take this time to meet and greet those around you? We're so glad to have you in the house of the Lord. We're going to jump right back into uh, praise and worship. Let me make a service, public service announcement just really quickly. Don't forget, those of you that are part of the leadership uh, cohort, you should have got uh, either a letter or a, uh, a text message or phone call this week about the changing of that uh, meeting, which will be this Saturday from 9 to 12 uh, here at the church as well. And uh, we also don't get stack nights tonight after church, immediately following service. And uh, we'll go back there for a time of fellowship. We'll give you some more instruction as soon as it's over. But let's uh, sing this old chorus of the church that this is the day that the Lord has made. Oh, I'm so sorry. You, you have it right. You are right. I'm so sorry. I'm reading my backwards. Garment of praise. I'm so sorry. I have my schedule funny.
hands lifted. For thou hast created Father, Lord, we stand before you in this house today to decree and declare that you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. All majesty belongs to you. Father, as we get ready to segue to break the bread of life, let your presence speak to our hearts in the solemnness and secrecy of this moment. We will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due your name body of Christ together said amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this evening. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to read one verse of scripture. Once you have, once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Once you have it. Talk here for a moment on the clothes 
of the righteous. I'm going to ask Brother Randy Erzberger to pray our prayer over the message, and then we'll jump right into this with Brother Erzberger. Amen. You may be seated. Is everyone comfortable? I'm a little hot, but is everyone comfortable? I can survive. It's a little warm. It's a little warm. Can we turn that down just a smidge? Uh, uh, I I don't. Since I'm preaching on the clothes of the church, I don't want to disrobe any clothes before the church. So I would prefer to have some AC up here if possible. <laughs> so yeah, uh, no, I'm good. Just so the air will be fine. That'll be fine. I'm good. It, it, it's gonna. We're gonna pray that God's gonna work this thing out for me. Clothes of righteousness are the clothes of the church. Now, I don't know about you, I, I shared a little bit briefly about this this morning, uh, about how I like to shop for clothes. I'm not one that's just going to go to Belk or to JCPenney or to Dillard or to any suit store and just buy whatever's on the rack. Now, I might like something that's on the rack. In fact, I might walk into the store and think, I want that suit, and I may decide that I'm going to one day own that suit, just not right then. And I will stalk it, I will watch it, I'll wait for it to go on sale, I'll look on the online rebates and see if there's any, you know, any kind of coupons for online ordering. I'll wait till they put it on 50% off. I'll wait till they have random sizes that nobody fits, which is basically my size, and uh, you know, and maybe get it on sale when it's like that. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for, if you will, bargain basement shopping. I want a good suit, but I'm not gonna pay a bunch of money for it. I'm a bargain shopper when it comes to that. But I want you to understand that when we talk about these things, throughout the scripture, God's word multiple times describes the garments, if you will, of the believer. Throughout scripture, you'll find things like garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You'll hear all these things about the clothing of the righteous and being adorned as a bridegroom is adorned for her bride. The bridegroom is adorned for the groom. And and, and then we talk about the bride of Christ and how we have to be without spot and blemish. Our clothes have to be wrinkle-free and pressed. And they have to make sure that they're ready for the wedding day. And scripture gives us all these Uh, if you will, metaphorical connections of garments. We find that some of Jesus' miracles centered around garments. The woman touched the hem of his garment and she was made whole. They took off the cloaks of the men of the day and they laid them on the street when Jesus was coming through on the triumphal entry. So there's all kinds of different types of, of stories in the Bible that clothes were an integral part of that story. The Bible is full of instructions on the clothes we should put on, but it also gives us Some inclination of clothes spiritually we should not be wearing anymore. Or if you will, disrobing. Once we get saved, the Bible talks about we have to disrobe some of our old lifestyles and put on new garments that we didn't wear before. And the Bible is full of that. The scripture talks about man-made garments, God-given garments, spirit wrought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ garments. They're seen throughout all of scripture. One of the very earliest stories in the Bible where the garment becomes so integral and so important, is all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, chapter 1, we know the book of Genesis, God is creating heaven and earth and solar systems and planets and trees and grass and all that stuff. By chapter 2, he's making humanity, he's breathing life and making men a living soul and causing Adam to fall into a deep slumber or sleep. And, and allow the rib to be taken from him to fashion and create bone of bone and flesh of flesh, what we now call woman or Eve, the mother of all living. 
But I want you to read, look at me with me here, and, and I'm just going to read this out of Genesis chapter 3, and verse number 6. When the woman saw the tree that God described was good for food, it pleased her eyes, and the tree became desirable, and she took the fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband, and he ate. But immediately their eyes were enlightened and opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam said to his wife, hide in the presence of the Lord because of the, in the middle of the trees of the garden. And the Lord called upon Adam and says, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid for I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of the fruit that I told you, the fruit of the tree that I told you you should not eat of? The, woman, the man said, the woman who you gave me. She gave me from the tree, and I ate. The, woman, the, man, the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And she said, The serpent deceived me. Boy, there's nothing like a little blame game going on right here. I know none of you have ever had any kind of children or grandchildren to ever pass the buck off to somebody else because uh, all your children were perfect, never did anything wrong, or grandchildren or, or other people's children. But other people's children, not yours, but other people's children were a little bit different. My dad has told stories about his siblings, and I'm sure if any of you in here today have siblings, some of these stories may similarly uh, uh, be attributed to you and your family. But my dad would tell stories about when one of them would get in trouble, they'd start passing down the line. Well, she said I could do it. Well, he gave it to me. Well, she said it was okay. Well, he's the one that left the door open. Well, she's the one that handed me the keys. Well, she's the one that threw, handed me the BB gun. He's the one that told me I bet me I couldn't hit him from that far away. She said she'd pay me if I shot him. <laughs> well, the person that paid for the someone to get shot with the BB gun getting in trouble. The person that went and got the BB gun out is getting in trouble. And the person that pulled the trigger is getting in trouble. But my dad would tell stories of different things where him and his siblings, they would all pass off the buck off to somebody else. It was a blame game. <laughs> well, it, you know, the old Audi, the old... Uh, you know, proverb, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I don't know what kind of tree uh, Adam and Eve ate from that day, but it kind of had that same connotation. God shows up, and Adam says, she did it. Her fault. I was minding my own business. She showed up over here, and she handed me a piece of fruit, and I ate it. God said, okay. Eve, what have you done? Well, I was minding my own business too, God. This serpent you created, you, God, you created this thing. You created this serpent, and it slithered its way right over here, and it just told me, and, and it's his fault. <laughs> you know, I never, you know, please don't misread what the pastor's about to say. I, I don't really ever necessarily want to say that I feel bad for the devil, but in that moment, he don't have anybody to blame either. He's kind of out to dry. I mean, the devil's just stuck. He can't even lie. A good devil can't lie his way out of this one. And he's, he's the father of all lies, and he don't have a good one to come up with. He's like, yeah, that's about all I got to say. It's me. So he gets cursed. Women get pain having children, and men are having to work by the sweat of their brow and, and, and till the land and all of these different things, all from this transition. But what we learn is there are certain attires that were found in Eden. There were certain clothing. Because you may not have noticed this, but the fig leaves were not the first clothes ever worn in Eden. They weren't. In fact, the very first clothes to ever be worn in Eden was the clothes of innocence. They didn't know they were naked. They didn't know what naked meant. They didn't know what 
self-identity and self-esteem. They didn't know if they were fat and looked good or not in the mirror. They weren't afraid of that. They didn't stand there thinking, oh, God, nobody needs to see this. I look like a beached whale that just came up off the shore. They didn't think like that. There was no mirrors. They weren't standing out there. Look, Adam walking by. Eve walks by. He didn't go, ugh. You know, they didn't think like that. They didn't know they were naked. They didn't even know what naked meant. They were innocent. Like a new baby. You bring a baby into the world, there. We used to, we used to my grandmother used to say, that baby is butt naked. I don't know what the difference between butt naked is and just naked, but something is different when they're butt naked. Like, you can be naked, but if you butt naked, there is something wrong with you. Like, that's just too far. I thought no clothes was far enough, but apparently if you had that word in front of it, it is worse than being with no clothes on. My grandmother, I'm going to probably get in trouble when I get to heaven and see her one day, but she used to listen to a song called The Street. Don't look, Ethel. Don't look. She, she would listen to that song and, and, and sometimes, and we'd, we'd laugh about that. And, but, but they were clothed in innocence. A little baby, I, I love watching little toddlers. Now, you can judge me if you want. But it's the funniest thing. When, like, babies are about between one and two, you get them out the shower or out the bathtub, and you turn around to hang the towel on the rack. By the time you turn around, they ain't there no more. Them suckers went streaking through the house. And it just happens to be they streaking through the house when you have guests. You know, you got people sitting in there waiting to eat dinner, and all of a sudden here comes a naked child running right through. Hey, how you doing? They're just running through the room. My dad says i got to put my clothes on, you know. And they have no clothes on because they don't know any different. They're innocent. The first clothes of Eden were innocent. Adam and Eve didn't know. They didn't know because sin was not there. Sin wasn't abounding. They didn't know what it was to feel condemnation. They didn't know what it was to feel shame. See, nowadays, you know, we, we tell in youth groups and we tell in, in, in uh, you know, SCA meetings and other things. When we, when we talk to, to teenagers and children, you know, we, we try to teach them that their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're like, guys, look, don't advertise if you don't want anybody to put, a, put a, an ad out for your services. I mean, if you don't want anybody to come by for your open house, don't leave the front door unopened and, and unlocked. And you can, you can infer what you want with that. But the point to be made is don't make an advertisement that you're interested if you don't want nobody to come by and ask you what it, talk, what it costs to buy for that individual. And so we talk to them about make sure you know your body's still with the Holy Spirit. Keep it covered in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. But, you know, and nowadays we've got children, not just not just teenagers, but children that are battling self-esteem issues and self-identity. They'll start starving themselves. They'll go bulimic. They'll go anorexic. They don't want to eat because somebody said they looked fat or somebody said they weren't attractive. And so they starve themselves and they don't ever want to, you know, they're wearing long sleeve shirts and long pants because they don't want anybody to see the markings on their bodies and things that they've self-hurt themselves with because of things that they have done because they feel they're just like they're not worthless and they don't amount to anything. And and before sin entered into the world, that never existed. There was nothing but perfect peace that abounded in the land. Adam and Eve were in this perfect place. Their spirit, man, if you will, dominated, and their flesh was not in control because their flesh had no desire to be in control because the spirit of the Lord was moving. I mean, you think about it. You know how cool it would have been? No pun intended, but you know, the Bible said in the cool of the day, God came down and he walked with Adam and Eve. I mean, what a, what an awesome experience. That every day you knew at 5 o'clock when you got home, doing your day-to-day activities, that God himself was standing at your house saying, hey, let's go for a walk through the garden. And hand in hand, you're holding your spouse's hand at one hand and God's hand 
with the other. And you just are walking through a garden with beautiful luscious trees and vegetation and fruit trees and blood, uh, budding and blooming flowers. I mean, it was a beautiful sight, you and God, in this garden together. It was beautiful. It was perfect. You couldn't replicate it. There was no desire of the flesh because the Spirit of the Lord just lived there with you. You know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, I wish that, you know, people still could get that picture in their mind because that's what church is designed to be. We, we all may have cares of this life and all this stuff going around in our homes and in our jobs, and that's true. We come into the house of the Lord. It should be a place where God just comes down in the coolness of the day, even though it might be 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, but God walks into the same room we're all in. And for even if it's for that hour or an hour and a half of time, God and us are just in a room together, hand in hand, just in his presence, where nothing else matters but me and Jesus in that moment. That's a beautiful place to be. That's where they live. But old Satan come creeping, and he stripped them of that through deceit, and he left, he left them naked before God and unfit to stand before his presence. Because prior to that, they didn't have to worry about clothes because they just walked with God just the way they were. But this particular day, they realized they were naked. And they weren't worthy to stand before a holy God in their sin-sickened state. They were worthy. So they went and hid themselves because they knew they couldn't stand before God with sin like that in their life. So they went and they decided to hide. You know, there is a similarity between the story of Adam and Eve and the story that we find in the New Testament of a guy that is called the Good Samaritan. Because the story of the Good Samaritan starts like this. Not the Good Samaritan, but let's start before the Good Samaritan shows up. The story starts like this. And there was a certain man who left Jerusalem and headed down towards Jericho. And he was met by a group of thugs, thieves, and robbers. And they beat him up, go read it, stripped him of his clothes, they made him be naked, and left him in the street to die and walked off. What just happened in the Garden of Eden? Satan stripped Adam and Eve of their dignity. A certain man, representing Adam, stripped him of his dignity, left him naked in the garden, and ultimately the punishment God eventually gave was that all men would eventually die. Because of sin. Sin would kill us. And so now Adam has been stripped of dignity. Adam has been stripped. Now he knows he's naked. And Satan has left him in the garden to die at God's hands. Then it says that this certain man went down. That implies both geographical and spiritual implications. Because any time you and God are up here, the devil's going to do his best to always take you down there. It's always going to be, the devil's never going to let you rise up. He always wants you to go down. He went down from Jerusalem. That place of Jerusalem represented house of blessings. Adam and Eve were living the high life, but they got in trouble and they had to move out of the garden. The place of blessings. You didn't have to worry about cooking. You didn't have to worry about food. God had provided it. You didn't have to do nothing but just enjoy it. The reality of it is Satan stripped them of all of that. Took it away from them, their house of blessings. In the Good Samaritan, he left Jerusalem, went down to Jericho, a place of cursing. What was the last thing God did before they left Eden? He placed a curse on the serpent. He placed a curse on mankind and said, you'll have pain in childbearing. You'll work by the sweat of your brow. And the serpent will crawl on its belly. God had to punish the sin. 
Then the Good Samaritan story says he fell among thieves. This was the place where evil lurked. And every day since the Garden of Eden has taken place, Satan is constantly lurking and looking. The Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is constantly on the lookout in the darkness of our lives and the crevices of our life just waiting for the right opportunity to strike when we least expect him to do it. And then we see the process of what they did. They wounded him. They wounded this man. They stripped this man. They robbed him. They left him to die. Satan stripped at him, wounded him, made him naked, left him there to answer to God. So in this story, we see these similarities of how Satan strips us before God and humiliates us in sin. And sin can be a very humiliating, humiliating task. So we see that there was certain clothing of Eden. There was, there was the clothing of innocence, but then all of a sudden there was, there was a, a change, if you will. But there's also some excuses. I mean. Nobody owned up for their own fault. Adam didn't say, you know what, God? You're right. She did give it to me, but I should have been man enough to say no. I should have said no. I didn't. That's on me. But I should have said, that ain't what he said. Talk to her. She's at fault. Eve, she, when she got to the table, she could have said, God, you're right. I was out there. I heard what the devil said. I heard what the serpent said. You know what? I, I shouldn't have done it. But I did. I should have definitely not took it to Adam. I should have just owned up to it right then that I would messed up and come clean right then. But she didn't. She blamed the serpent. See, there's too many people living in the world today that they always want to make excuses for their actions rather than take responsibility for their actions. That's good preaching even if we don't want to hear it. Because that is the problem that's in our world today. We have created a generation of people that feel entitled, but also a generation of people that feel like they don't have to be held responsible for their actions. They can loot stores. They can bust into stores and steal things. They can pistol whip people, and they know authorities can't do anything. They know cops can't touch them. They know nobody's going to do anything because certain governors and certain mayors in the city are afraid, and they're trying to win elections, and they're trying to do this and that and the other, and they know there's nothing they can do to them. So they're getting a free pass to do anything they want to and have no responsibility of action because no one can stop them. No responsibility. We have parents that are raising children in this world worldwide that are interested in being friends with their children rather than parent parenting their children. They're more concerned about making sure they're liked than they're loved. Because love, you can still love and still be disciplinarian. Because true love, the Bible says if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. True love will every once in a while correct the, the problem in the house. And the reality of it is we've got too many families in this world that want to be besties and they want to take selfies and they want to hang out and have streaks with one another on their Snapchat and they want to be, you know, top friends and all this kinds of stuff with their mom and with their dad. But in reality what they're creating is a generation of people that have no responsibility. Give me a car. Give me a phone. I shouldn't have to pay for it. And then one day those same little girls were at, uh, uh, grow up that thinks that some man that they married his own job his own purpose in life is to work five jobs to keep her living like Kim Kardashian in some Rolls Royce house of a mansion somewhere when surely she's got two arms she's got two legs and if God be for her who can be against her get a job and help him out that's good preaching even if y'all are looking at me like I'm Baptist tonight 
Because we have, we have created a generation of people that make excuses for their behavior rather than take responsibility for their behavior. They don't go to work. I mean, my Lord, you can't even go to a restaurant now without 50 people not working. Signs on the door, be nice to our employees. We can't get staff or short staff. It's amazing how they're telling us we have a, a, a you know, the, the employment rate and this, that, and the other, and people needing a job. No, they don't. We've got plenty open. Nobody's taking them. There's no unemployment issue. The issue is nobody wants to work. It's not a lack of jobs. It's a lack of willpower. Adam and Eve made excuses. So they tried to fix their problem themselves. See, I want you to understand this evening, and those watching online, God doesn't need you to make excuses for sin. He needs you to repent from sin. There's a difference. And repentance means you take responsibility that you messed up. Not that you go, oh, well, God, I... Yeah, I did do that, but you see, what had happened was that that wasn't my intention. And see, you know, I I, I wouldn't normally have done that, but what, just stop talking. Just say, God, I messed up. God doesn't need your excuse. He doesn't need your excuses. He needs your He needs you to own up, fess up. They couldn't accept that. They felt like they could take problems in their own hands. But Brother Primo, what they did is they decided, well, let's go pick off some fig leaves. Let's make ourselves some homemade clothing. So maybe when God comes down in the cool of the day today, he won't notice we're wearing a different outfit from yesterday. I mean, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist here. Don't profess to be one. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to notice if Brianna has no clothes on earlier in the morning and later that afternoon she's fully clothed, I think I'm going to notice the difference. I think if I go to the beach and I see a bunch of people laying out there in bikinis and I see some lady over here looking like she lives in Antarctica in a full in a wool coat with Eskimo patch on and snow goggles on, I think I'm going to know she looks different. Hello. I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm going to think, you don't, you don't fit with the rest of these people around here, do you? I'm going to think something's wrong. I'm going to notice. I don't know how they thought God was going to walk down in the cool of the day and be like, so did you get that from Hamrick's and not notice? How, you know, what do they think? They're just not going to see that there's new clothes? How are you not going to notice that? But they sewed and they hid themselves. They were doing everything in their best efforts to fix the problem. But the best efforts in the flesh is not good enough to remedy the sinful condition of their hearts. You can't, your best efforts before God will never fix the sinful condition of our lives. Never. No matter how hard we try. But the fig leaves, they kind of send us a picture themselves. Because the fig leaves were attached to a branch of a tree. So they had nutrients and they had a what we call a parent stem or a parent bush. They were attached to something. But in order to make fig leaf clothing, they had to pluck off the leaves. They didn't, they didn't wear sticks. They wore leaves. So they had to pluck off the leaves from the parent stem. Well, isn't that what Adam and Eve were? They were attached to God in perfect, perfect peace and harmony, but the devil just came along and just plucked them right out of the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The devil just came along in the Garden of Eden and just plucked them right off the vine and just said, Whoop, watch you just lay down here and die. And see, what happens was, is the moment that the fig leaves were plucked, Death already began to set in to the fig leaves because a, a leaf cannot continue to live once it falls off the tree because it doesn't have nutrients anymore. 
why it's still attached to that tree, the tree or that bush will continue to pull up through the soil, the water and the nutrients and begin to send it down the different veins, if you will, of that leaf. That's why most leaves have different looking veins. So it'll send water and nutrients to it to keep it green and to keep it. But when you pluck it off and you just lay it in the windowsill, leave it there for a while, see what happens. It'll crumple up and just die. It has no more life source. And when we, as the body of Christ, when we get plucked from the vine of Jesus Christ and we allow the devil to pluck us away, if we're not careful, eventually we're going to wither up and die because we're, we're separated from the vine. We're separated from the parent bush. So they sewed them together. The leaves looked fine for a season, but soon they would look dead, discolored. For a season, sin will look good. But after a while, it won't be so good anymore. It won't be so pleasurable anymore. See, they still felt like they were naked when God called them. Even through, even though they were hidden, completely covered, and naturally speaking, they did had no part of their body exposed, they internally still felt the shame and condemnation of standing in the presence of an holy and a righteous God. They knew it doesn't matter if I wrap myself up in an Eskimo suit with, with snow goggles and a toboggan. I still feel naked before God because he knows. Can I tell you, you can be like Jonah and you can run, but you cannot hide from God. Whether The Bible says, whether I make my bed in the heavens above, you are there. Or if I make my beds in the depths of Sheol, you are there. Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I run from your hide from your presence? You cannot run from God. You just can't. He knows. And it's amazing that we can look all put together, but when the Spirit of the Lord walks into the room, we become undone. Remember what Isaiah said? Oh, Lord, I am a man undone, a man of unclean lips. I walked into the room, and when I walked into the room, oh, I became undone before the presence. I came in with my nice suit on. I came in with my nice jacket on. I came in with my phylactery on my arm, my royal priest. I mean, my priesthood, royal garments. I walked into the sanctuary of the Lord, but as soon as God's presence entered into the room, it didn't matter how nice my suit looked, didn't matter how nice my robe looked, didn't matter how nice my car was, and outside in the parking lot, I became undone before an almighty God because he exposed me in that moment, and I realized I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean hearts. And Isaiah said, oh, Lord, I am so sorry. He recognized his undoing in that moment. It's the same way Adam and Eve knew. They knew. But what were they to do? I mean, God already knew. See, the garments that man man makes for himself, Satan will tell you, good job. Well done. Well collected. You've done, you done great. Satan will make you think your garments are fine. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Haggai 1 and 6. You have sown much. Yet you bring in little. You eat, but don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is actually warm. He who earns wages, his wages, earns wages to be put into a bag full of holes. Isaiah 59 and 6. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves from their works. But their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Isaiah 64 and 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like filthy garments, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our wrongdoings like the wind will carry us away. When we try to do it on our own, 
it never measures up. I mean, Isaiah gives us about, you know, in Isaiah 64 and 6, he gives us about, about the best picture you can give. My righteousness, my best effort, my best of the best of the best is filthy rags before God. In fact, if you study out, if you study out the trajectory of what that, that scripture means, it was actually a direct connection back to the Levitical law. When a woman would hit her cycle, and the rags that they used for that, that time of the month for women, they would call them filthy rags because they were unclean because of that moment. And they would set them, the women would sit outside of the camp for an extensive period of time till the time of their time of the month was over, and they'd have to go through a, a purification process for them to come back into the camp. What Isaiah was saying is the best efforts that we have for God are no worse than those rags. That's the best. I mean, the best we've got <laughs> is rags. Rags. You know, some people would have you believe, oh, <laughs> I live a good life. I give money away. I'm a good citizen. I'm a, you know, I'm on the board of directors at the local bank and this, that, and the other. That's great. That's great. Except that don't mean anything in the grand scheme of eternity. You can be the CEO. You can be the CFO. You can be the president. You can be the vice president of the corporation. But if you don't know Jesus, you don't have anything when this is over. You've got nothing. Your best efforts are nothing without God. Then we see there's the redemption at Eden. You see, in Genesis 3 and 21, God takes matters into his own hands. He says, you know what? All right. He said, she said, it said, we've got everybody covered. You talk about gender equality, everybody's covered. He, she, it. We got them all right here. I mean, it's not a new thing. God knew about gender equality all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. He, she, it. We don't know who you are, but just join the family. Just come on over here with us. God had it all covered. But he couldn't leave them the way he found them. That's what's so beautiful about the Lord we serve. God will never leave you the way he finds you. He found them naked. He found them with sewn fig leaves together. And then he said, but that's not the way I'm going to let you leave the garden. Yes, you're going to have to work. Yes, you're going to have pain and childbearing. Yes, there's going to be some bad days. Yes, i got to punish you. But even punishing you, I can't let you leave here the same way you came in. That's why we like to sing songs in the church. You won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Bound or depressed, tormented, sick or lame for the Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. God has no intention for you to come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and leave the same way you came. has no intention of that. God doesn't want you to come into his house, leave still dry, barren, hungry, displaced, disenfranchised. God does not want you to go to church and feel like, why did I waste my time and go, I got nothing out of that today. That's not what his desire is. Now, sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes that's how we feel. That's a different topic for a different day. But God's desire is when we come into his house to have a banquet table spread and say, come in, my children, come. Come and dine, feast. Let's, let's have a time together. He wants to change us in that moment. Isaiah, uh, Genesis tells us that God was not going to have anything to do with the garments they made. He was like, I didn't make those. I clothed you with innocence and you dirtied those. <laughs> and you went out and tried to take matters into your own hands and make fig leaf clothing. But I didn't, I didn't make that. 
God was not going to put his stamp of approval. And while people don't seem to understand in the world we live in today, God's not going to give his stamp of approval on sin. Now, you can go to any church here and another pastor tell you anything you want them to tell you. But if that said pastor happens to tell you that God approves sin and God doesn't really care how you live and God's just worried about your happiness, please run as far as you can from that church before you get struck by lightning for going to a false church. Because God does care about sin and he says you should flee from even the very appearance of evil. He doesn't, he doesn't just say flee from evil in the moment. He says anything that appears like evil, get out. Get out. He said, I can't touch that. God's not going to bless my sin. He ain't going to bless my mess. And he ain't going to do that. He said, the only way I can do something different is i got to do something totally different. This ain't going to work for me. But they didn't know what to do because right now they ain't really got much. They're not doing much. God don't want to have nothing to do with the clothes they made. They don't really want to have nothing to do with God right now because they know he ain't happy with them. But the Bible says, and in that moment, God took a, an animal killed it blood splattered and poured into the crevices and cracks of the ground God the Bible said God himself created skin clothing if you will animal skins clothing to put on them so that when they walked out of Eden they weren't walking still in their sin garments they were walking out of there with blood bought garments see God sometimes needs us to get rid of our sinful garments and trade them in for blood-bought garments and so they put these animal skins on but it's a beautiful picture here because the garment they put on that coat that they put on was a representation of Jesus Christ the price to be able to get a new set of clothes in the Garden of Eden cost blood cost a life cost a lamb to die but that covering, once it happened, there was covering provided through the bloodshed. The lamb of that sacrificial lamb there in the Garden of Eden provided clothing, provided protection, provided a way of escape, if you will, for Adam and Eve. Covered their sin, covered their condemnation, changed everything about them. But isn't that what Jesus did? The perfect lamb of God? The perfect lamb of God. He died. Shed blood so that when he shed his blood that I could get new clothes. Because I used to have sin-tattered sin garments. The old song says, I gave him my old tattered garments. He gave me a robe of pure white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven and that's why I'm happy tonight. It, I mean, Jesus died, shed blood so that I could take off my old garments and Brother James put on something that I couldn't afford. It'd be like today. I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, I had a couple come to our church. I was serving at. They were having some marriage issues. I was one of the counseling pastors on staff, and they asked if they could come talk. And the senior pastor said, sure, we'll put you out to work with Pastor Jonathan's schedule and see kind of how you can work that out. So we worked out a schedule. I don't remember how long it was four or five, six months, I guess, of constant working with this couple. They got to a place where we, we all felt pretty comfortable. They were okay. Kind of we could space out the counseling a little bit further. They could come back if they needed it, but they were they kind of had gotten to a groove. They knew how this thing was to go. It was getting near Christmas time. 
And they said, Pastor, we want to do something nice for you just for all the stuff. I said, no. They want to pay me for the service. I said, no. The church, the church provides this as part of why I'm on staff here. And it just kind of comes with the territory. So I can't really, you're a member of the church here, so I really can't charge you for that because I get paid by the church to do part of this. If you were somebody from another church, maybe, but I can't really do that this way. They said, we want to give you a gift. I said, no, no, I'm good. But what would you want? I said, I, I really don't need anything. One day they called. They said, Pastor, they said, um, you got plans on Friday night? And I said, no. They said, hey, let's go to dinner. We'll buy dinner. I said, okay, yeah, dinner, that's fine. So they drove me to Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, we went and ate dinner. And I rode with them, and we were just talking in the car, and this gentleman said, Pastor, do you mind? I need to stop by a store. Do you, do you mind if we stop real quick by this store and uh, and, and just for a second, and, and then uh, we'll head home? I said, no. This guy was very wealthy. He had a very lucrative business. Uh, he His job, he, he owned his own business, but his job paid very well. And sometimes he had to wear really nice suits to for certain events and different dinner parties and different things, things he did. Sometimes he had to be a black tie type affairs. So he's going to pick up this suit at this real ritzy uh, store. And uh, it was actually uh, Joseph A. Bank's store there in Columbia. And, I mean, he had his thing. This thing was amazing. When, that, when they brought that suit out, you could just tell, like, God, I, my house payment is less than that man's suit right there. And this guy come out. Looking like, you know, like Brother Randy comes. He was suit and tie. An older gentleman with a suit and tie, jacket on. I mean, distinguished looking guy. He had this rope-like thing around his neck with, you know, like a tape measure, but this rope running thing. I thought, dude, that don't match your outfit. That's what I thought. First thought was, man, you got this real nice suit, and you look retarded with a, with a necktie of a tape measure. And he said, Mr., and I'll just say Mr. Smith. That wasn't the guy's name. He said, Mr. Smith, is this your pastor you called about? He said, yeah. I'm like, you don't know me. He said, spread your arms. I was like, buddy, that's a dangerous question to ask. You don't know what I may have on me. And uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, just spread your arms. So I was like, okay. I felt like I was at the airport. I'm sitting there, and they're patting me down. He's measuring. He's taping me down. I'm thinking, what was he doing? Getting a schematic of how tall I am? Like, this is kind of creepy. And it was all said and done. He came back. He said, I want you to take a seat, Mr. Vaughn. And I sat down. He came back with a, a book like this thick, put it on the desk, I mean, thousands of pages. He said, okay, pastor, step number one, what color? I said, what? What color do you want the suit? I said, I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not buying a suit. I, like, your suit's on the wall over here, like $600 for the ones that are already pre-made that somebody couldn't fit. Like, somebody returned that because they, they ate too much turkey and dressing. So, and it's still $600, and it's been used. I'm not, I'm not custom ordering one. I'd have to sell my kidneys. I can't do that. I need those to live. He said, I asked you what color you want, so I'm sitting there, and we go through. He said, how many buttons do you want on it? I was like, what? How many buttons? And he said, do I, do I have a speech better? How many buttons do you want on the suit? I'm like, I don't know. Enough? <laughs> I don't know. How many buttons do you put on the suit? Just put them on there. He said, what do you want the lapel? Do you want it to be open? Do you want it to be closed? I was like, I don't know. So he gave me these options. He said, all right, but let's talk about your vest. You want your vest? How many buttons you want? I was like, I get to pick more buttons? Gosh, you almost have an endless supply in the button factory somewhere. And I was like, I don't know, put four, I don't know, put five, six buttons on there. I don't know. 
He said, okay, do you want it to be a straight vest or do you want it to have, have a, you know, like a tailored aspect to it? I was like, I don't know. I guess straight. I don't know. He said, okay, now let's talk about your pants. Do you want your pants pleated? Do you want them straight? Do you want them cuffed? Do you want, I'm like, oh, I don't know. He said, okay, how about the inside? The inside, what pattern do you want on the inside of your jacket? I was like, what? I'm like, who sees the inside of the jacket? I'm wearing it on the outside. It's under my armpit. It smells. Who cares what color it is? It's going to look different after a Sunday morning service anyway. What does it matter? Let's go dark so they can't see the sweat stains, I guess. I don't know. It was all said and done. He said, okay. Your suit's going to cost $2,500. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. It ain't going to cost me nothing because I ain't paying for it. I'm not buying this suit. He said, no, no, you don't understand, Pastor. He said, this suit's already been paid for. I was already instructed that it didn't matter how much you chose and it didn't matter what the cost was. When you walked out of this door, you were going to have a suit with your name in it. And he said, it'll take us six to eight weeks to build this suit. And when I got that back that week inside, and I still have it in my closet, but I can tell you, inside that suit, it says, Joseph A. Bank, signature line edition, custom by, and worn only by, with my name under it. I'm the only one that owns that suit. Now, I say that not because I'm like, because I didn't pay for it, and it would have burned, I'd have burned the building down if I'd have paid that suit. I'm telling you that right now. But what I'm trying to say is, every time I put on that suit, it didn't, I didn't pay for it, but it cost somebody a lot of money for me to be able to wear that suit. But over 2,000 years ago, all I had was filthy rags. That's all I owned. I didn't have anything better. But over 2,000 years ago, there's a son of the Most High God that transcended time and space, came down, lived a sinless life, lived a virtuous life, born of a virgin, lived a virtuous life, died a vicarious death, had a, a victorious resurrection. Now he's up in the right. He had a, a, a visible ascension, and he will come back in a visible return. But when he died... Sister Nina, I couldn't afford the clothes that Jesus provided. I, it would have cost me my life, and even my life couldn't have bought what Jesus bought. He was like the tailor of Joseph A. Bank. I couldn't afford that. But when Jesus died, when I stood over there and before God in an old-fashioned altar so many years ago and said, God, I, I, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve this. You know what he said? The same thing that guy at Joseph A. Bank said. So you don't understand, sir. Jonathan, you don't understand. Somebody else already paid the price. I just need you to wear the suit. I just need you to wear the... So when I got saved that night and, and, and as a young boy at Oakland Road Church of God, I, I laid down my old rags. But when I got up, I, all I had to do was just put on my new garment. Put on my new clothes. And here's what I have come to realize. Jesus Christ paid the price. He became our garment of salvation. But the garments changed and needed. My old garments... Got left in Eden. You know what happened to Adam and Eve? Does anybody know what happens to the fig leaf clothes of Adam and Eve when they left Eden? Anybody? Anybody? Right. You don't know. We don't know if they got burned up. We don't know if they dried up. We don't know if the wind blew them away. Nobody knows what happened to the fig leaf clothing. We know the rest of Adam and Eve's lineage. We know how it comes all the way down to King David. We know how it transcends all the way to one called Jesus Christ. We know how we're direct descendants of Jesus Christ by serving him as Lord and Savior of our life. We know what the other garments provided, but we have no idea what happened to the fig leaves. Because it doesn't matter anymore. Because the Bible said old things pass away. And behold, all things become new. I gave him old tattered garments, and when I walked away from that life of sin, I picked up the robe of righteousness. Remember what we read? 
He will clothe me with the garment of salvation. I gave him my heart. God, here's my rags. I have nothing. But the Bible said he gave me a robe of righteousness. When I gave him my garment of sin, I picked up a robe of righteousness. And it was custom fit, Brother James. It only fit me. It didn't fit you. It didn't fit Brother Marion. It didn't fit Brother Randy. Y'all had to buy your own robes through Jesus because y'all's body shapes and mine aren't the same. We can't fit in the same robe. If I rode the same robe, some of you guys wore, it looked like a, a whole entire house was moved out in my clothes. It just, it wouldn't be there. Some of y'all tried to wear my clothes. Y'all be wearing midriffs. You'll have stuff hanging out from underneath my clothes. It wouldn't fit because it's not the right. God custom built me a robe through his son's death on the cross for me to wear. I can't wear the same robe Miss Alma did because I haven't walked the same road she's walked. But when she gave her heart to Jesus, God had a robe hanging on a rack that said, that's Alma's. And handed her a robe of righteousness. When God saved Henry Kirkland, when God saved Jennifer Wyatt, when God saved Randy Erzberger, all of each one of us, when we came to the altar, God said, yeah, no, that's Marion's rack. No, that's Sherry's rack. No, oh, here's Randy's rack. And pulled a custom robe that he made just for Randy to be able to put on. And then one day he found an old-fashioned uh, altar there of a four-year-old little boy in an old uh, Sunday school classroom in Oakland Road that gave his heart to Jesus Christ and said, you know what, Jonathan, I think I got one that's in 4T. I can give you a robe that's 4T. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a size 30, 32 pants, but it's in 4T. But I got a robe that'll fit you. And you know what's happened? Every year that robe somehow keeps fitting. I don't know how God did it, but it went to 5T and 6T and 7 and 8. Now I'm in a size 32 pants and I wear a 38 to 40 jacket. Somehow that robe keeps stretching. Hope to God it doesn't get much bigger than that, but it's still growing every day because God's robe he clothed me can I tell you tonight that the Bible is very clear we can put aside every weight that so easily entangles and run the race that's been set before us God has given us a robe of righteousness that we all can wear one day Miss Carol as you come you notice that Adam and Eve did not put on the the animal skins over the fig leaves they had to take the fig leaves off you know what that means they had to get naked again don't look, Ethel. They knew then they were naked. But think about this. I was sitting in my office today and it was like a bling light bulb. I don't have light bulbs come on very often because I forget to pay the bill. But when I do remember to pay the bill, the light bulbs come on sometimes in my head. And I thought about it. They had to get naked again. You know what that means? They had to get undone again. They had to become vulnerable again. They had to be exposed again. They had to get back to a place of vulnerability and exposing themselves before God. They had to take off all that they knew and basically be undone before His presence again. This time, Miss Anne, when they got out, when they were undone in His presence, when they left His presence this time, they were they were wrapped in something different. They felt different. And all through, I went back through Scripture real quick before church was starting tonight, and I tried to find some things like that, and I thought of some places. The prodigal son, when his father said, bring out the best robe, he didn't put it over the pig pit clothes. The Bible said he put on the robe. That means he went inside, took a shower, took off the pig clothes, and put on the new robe. He didn't put it over the old one. He didn't put it on the old one. But blind Bartimaeus, in Luke, I mean, in Mark chapter 10, 
and blind Bartimaeus was coming to Jesus, the Bible said he took off his beggar garment, he cast it aside, and he ran to Jesus. He got rid of what he... Because in that day, beggars, they would wear certain clothes to let you know that they were basically beggars or that they were, you know, on welfare of the day, if you will. They had to wear a certain garment. But when he knew that if he ever got to Jesus, he didn't have to live on spiritual welfare anymore. He didn't have to get by with status quo because he was going to be different. So he took off the garment that was known as a beggar and an outcast, and he laid it aside, and he ran to Jesus. He ran to Jesus with a different clothes. When Elijah and Elisha were traveling together, Elijah's caught up in a chariot of fire and a whirlwind, and he takes off right out of the glory, portals of glory. And as he's leaving, his mantle starts floating back down. The Bible said Elisha tore his robe because he hated that the man of God left him. He literally ripped his garment in half. Well, let me help you with something. If I took this shirt and tie, and I was able to do it here, and I literally just shredded it in front of you, like an incredible Hulk moment, then I decided, oh, that's a bad idea. And I try to put it back on. Guess what I'm not going to be able to do? It's ripped. Can't wear it the same way. It's broke. Elisha had ripped his garment from floating down from heaven. He just prayed. God, I want a double portion of your spirit, of your anointing. And floating like a little feathery leaf type movement. It just kind of comes, keep floating, and there's a mantle that just, lo and behold, falls right in front of him. The mantle of Elijah. The Bible says he had ripped his other garment, so he's like, I don't have a garment. Process of deduction here. I don't have a garment. That looks like a really good-looking garment. How about I leave this garment over here, and I'll put that garment on now. He put on a different robe, a different garment. You see, the old garment represents the old man, the old lifestyle. Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, I end with this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You can't sew a new cloth into an old garment without tearing taking place. So it is time for the body of Christ to be clothed with new spiritual garments provided by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. God still has a royal rack of clothing in heaven just waiting for anybody whosoever will to just come by to trade their broken hearts, their tattered lives, their, their, their misfits, their misfortunes. God, every day, it's wanting us to just lay our old rags, our old cloaks, our old garments. He wants us to put on a new robe. The garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. We sang it tonight. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice to God. Praise the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. God wants you to just get rid of some old stuff so that he can give you something new to wear. That's the clothes of the church. If anybody says, well, what do you mean? There are clothes in the church. God gives us the garment of salvation and he gives us the robes of righteousness. You wear those two garments, they never get old. They're like the sandals of the children of Israel. They never will wear out. Those garments
garments never become outdated. They don't become antiquated. They don't go bad. The garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness is just as new and as real as the day you put it on 30 years down the road. If you keep going to God, you keep praying, you keep seeking His face, that garment of salvation, that robe of righteousness will be just as real to you today as it was 30 years ago when you put it on for the very first time. Let's stand all over the house and see. Heavenly Father, to the very best of my ability, preached your word. Pray tonight, God, that your word will have been seen and heard. And God, you would speak to your people the solemnness and sacredness in this moment. God, in this moment, I want us to make sure that we understand that, God, you have clothed us with new garments. Garments of praise. Robes of righteousness. You've given us a new life because of the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, as we get ready here soon to disembark from this location, may you bless us and keep us your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us and lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts in you. And let the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our blessed Redeemer. The body of Christ together said amen. Amen. Before Brother Randy prays our closing prayer and blessing over the food, give you some instructions. You can go out either door uh, here. Please let, if you can, anybody that stays, if they're a senior adult, or even if they look like they might be a senior adult, let them go first. Don't insult them by asking, because some people look older than they really are, so don't say, are you a senior? Uh, if they look younger than a senior adult, and you find out they are a senior adult, tell them they look wonderful, but still put them in front of you. Um, but if they're a senior adult, let them go first, if possible, and then... Um, then we can all file in and tonight. Uh, but there's plenty of food in the back. So I'm going to ask Brother Randy to pray our benedictory prayer as well as the blessing of the food. Don't forget Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. and training, leadership training at 9 on Saturday. God bless you.